Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. You know him as a World Series champion manager, and I know a, a lot of people in baseball respect mm. our next guest. He's written a book. He's got a lot to share with us about life and baseball and sports. Joe Madden, former manager with the Cubs and um, Rays and uh, author of the book, The Book of Joe, uh, is joining us. Where are you today? Where's home right now? John, I'm, uh, home is actually Pennsylvania, up in northeastern Pennsylvania. That's where I'm from, and I still... That's my main pad. I go back there for most of the season now. Uh, but right now I'm in Tampa. Tampa's always been uh, uh, my, like, near and dear to my heart also, kind of my second home. And I'm down here to play some golf. So I came down here because the weather's so bad up north. <laughs> I'm hanging here until May, and then I'll go back up to Sugarloaf. I love that. And, and you spent so long <laughs> in baseball, you probably just got used to a rhythm of kind of getting mm-hmm. down to spring training, getting involved in baseball and the, and the rhythm. That never leaves you, does it? It, it doesn't, but it does. I mean, honestly, I haven't done it for a couple of years now, and I'm pretty good at adapting, I think. Um, of course, it was I did it every year since, what, 19, shoot, 76 pretty much, 75, 76, and then I didn't last year for the first time. But I'm pretty good at laying things down and moving on. I, I found that out about myself. You don't even know that until you're faced with those uh, moments. So I am. I'm here. I'm in the middle of spring training, but I'm not like uh, urge. I don't feel an urge to go out to a spring training site. I'll probably run into some guys at our restaurant. Like Riz might show up. Uh, even Brian Cashman might show up. Those guys. But for the most part, um, I'm just really trying to drive the ball 230 plus down the middle of the fairway. That's my main objective right now. <laughs> We're all trying to do that. Uh, right, Joe Madden right. is with us. Um, look, uh, your background as a player was as a catcher. I grew up in a baseball mm-hmm. family. My dad was in AAA with mm-hmm. the Mets in 1969 when they won the World Series. And he, you know, he had always talked about catchers being able to see the game differently. You know pitching, you know hitting. How much of an advantage does that give you when you look mm-hmm. back on your playing career? How much did you draw on that as a manager? Well, it really does mean a lot. You don't think of it, think of it at the time, but is, uh, is the catcher in baseball the middle linebacker in football? Because you're on defense. It's one game that uh, you're on defense in, in that particular situation and uh, and you have the ball. It's kind of awkward. But you look out at the whole field, you have, and you're controlling the pitcher also, which is really pretty much the game could have been called pitching as opposed to baseball, I think. So when you get to know and understand how to work with pitchers and what that all means, you have a great advantage just from that alone. But beyond that, you know, positioning, watching first movements, watching how defenses are set up, controlling the running game, um, you know, butt defenses, everything. I mean, you're, you are the middle linebacker uh, because you want to play defense with the ball. So um, there's, a lot, there's a lot to be learned if you're paying attention. Like some guys just do it. I mean, I wasn't smart enough just to do it. I mean, my game was football with it naturally, but baseball I had to work that a little bit more. So I, I was grateful. I, and I converted to catcher, what was that, Lafayette in um, what, 71, 72, 72-73, I converted, and that's why I became a catcher before that. I was a pitcher and a shortstop. What did you get out of the minor league experience, 15 years there? Everything. Um, and beyond, even before that was the scouting experience. I, um, I was talking to Mike and uh, Craig a couple of minutes ago, and Larry, of course, but um, scouting is really where it begins. And I've encouraged more of the guys 
that became uh, first-time major league managers before they accepted the gig. I said, why don't you go and ask an organization to go scout for maybe a year or two and to, and to manage rookie ball? Because that's how you really learn. You, you have you tested on every level uh, when you're in those situations, and nobody does that anymore. Uh, a big part of a major league job, I think, is evaluation, evaluation of young talent. What is it? What does young talent look like before it becomes talent? You know, uh, uh, what does is, what is, um, Tim Salmon look like before he became Tim Salmon, as an example for me? Or Wally Joyner, because I signed Wallace Keith. What did they look like before they became household names? And a lot of these guys don't have, not a lot of them, none of them have that benefit. And I still believe if I'm going to hire a manager on a major league level, I would really ask this fella in advance and try to, you know, uh, be pressing about it. Send him out and scout a little bit. And go ahead and work a minor league situation because you are tested on every level. So, yes, um, I scouted Arizona, Colorado, Utah, New Mexico, uh, Nebraska, and Kansas for several years. And then I branched off when I went to spring training. I just scouted before I went to camp. And then managing started in Idaho Falls two years in Salem right down the road from you guys, and then eventually Midland, Texas. And then I rolled everywhere. I mean, Nobody, nobody believes in liberal arts anymore, man, and I don't understand that. Everybody wants to specialize, or they want to go right to the top, right from Jump Street. And I think we're missing a lot. You miss a lot of texture. You miss a lot of nuance when you do things like that. You just can't know your craft nearly as well by taking that route. How gratifying is it when you were working as a scout to, to identify a player and then see that player have success? Oh, it's, it's really, it's large. I mean, scouts work so hard. People have no idea what a scout does. I don't even know what they're doing these days. I don't know how they they uh, do their, their local areas, and I don't know what the travel looks like. But I know what it looked like back then. It was in the vehicle all the time. You're covering your area. You're going to a game every day, probably two if you can, maybe sometimes three. And when you actually hit on somebody, um, it's like your son practically uh, getting uh, to professional ball or uh, hopefully to the major leagues, because whenever you sign somebody, your intent is that they become major league players. And when they do, it's 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 really gratifying. Wally, Wally Joyner was my first. I call him Wallace Keith because that's his actual name. So he and I still stay in touch. Timmy Sam is another guy. I mean, um, um, Kelly, uh, Tim Kelly signed um, Timothy, and there's others that made it to the Jackie Howell as part of the Jack Howell signing. So when they get there, man, it's it's special. And I still stay in touch with Wally, Timmy, Jackie, uh, Kirk McCaskill, I could keep going on, all these dudes, it matters. And, and that's what a scout kind of lives for. I mean, they live a lonely life, and it's, a very, it's not gratifying in a sense because nobody knows who you are, what you've done, how many miles you put in, how many conversations you've had. And I'm here to tell you it's been a lot. I have probably the mo- most respect out of all, in all of baseball community for scouts uh, more than anybody else. Joe Madden, our guest, two-time World Series champion, three-time Major League Baseball Manager of the Year. 2002, I covered that series. I happened to be in the Bay Area, and I was covering the Giants, and you uh, end up with the Angels against the Giants, and you know that was in the height of Barry Bonds' run. But you guys came away with that World Series championship, and what was that like to have Bonds on the other side of that series and, and have you know the strategy and the psychology going into that series? Well, you know, we're at that time the Americans and the National Leagues pretty much we didn't see each other that often. I think we just started interleague play right before that. But I was going to that series. He said, hey, he hasn't seen us yet. He hasn't seen our pitchers yet until that first game. And then he just turned some stuff around big. And that's it. We're not pitching to him anymore. <laughs> so and he was 
He was that, I mean, honestly, he was that impactful. Every time he took a swing, every time the bat left his shoulders, it looked like he could hit a home run. It was that incredibly devastating and consistent. And I, I, I scouted him when he was at Arizona State. I saw him when he was a skinny left fielder playing for Jim Brock, uh, below average arm, decent outfielder, but he still – you still pop a baseball, even as a skinny kiss you. So I saw him all the way up and through. When he was with the Giants at that time, wow. And they had a really good team. They had a veteran-laden team. They were good. But he, uh, you know, in that brief period of time, and I know there's different issues with him, et cetera, but for that brief period of time, I don't know that I've ever seen anybody that looked like they could and would hit a home run every time they swung the bat. Yeah, it was almost surprising when he didn't hit a home run during that run in that season. He was just so on it and – you know, uh, and you're right about the issues. Like he took his shirt off in the clubhouse one day, and I was I happened to be covering the Niners the season before. He looked like the middle linebacker for the 49ers. I mean, that was the body he had. wasn't that skinny kid at ASU anymore. I think we were all kind of mm-hmm. looking around, going, "Something's not right here." Um, Joe Madden is with us. Um, you know, where do you stand on analytics versus feel of the game? Because you were at it so long, I'm sure you had a feel at different times on what to do situationally. Yeah, I think I think uh, you have to balance them is what I think. I listen. I was on the forefront of the analytical movement when I was with the Rays in two thousand six, seven, eight. Andrew and I, um, Eric Neander was part of that group. Hein Bloom, um, all a part of that particular group that we kind of got over the top on the AL East. And a big part of the analytics there uh, for us, where it was very helpful, was on defense. It was it's a very good tool defensively. And it's a very good tool when it comes to acquisitions. And nobody talks about that. I mean, everybody thinks it's like it's just like such a big part of every game, every day, every moment. It's not true. It's really good on defense, though. You, if you're, you'd be crazy not to utilize analytics regarding where to place your defense. You would really be that you'd be missing out completely. Another big part of it is where, um, when it comes to pitching uh, versus hitters, it can be very helpful re- regarding um, really pinpointing the hitter's weakness. Does he chase? Does he chase elevation? Can he hit 92, 93 plus? Uh, you don't even have to throw him a breaking ball. Just stay heater. Just stay heater. I know your mind tells you you have to do something different, but you don't. He will expand with two strikes. He always swings at a full count. These are the things you can see more readily. Now, of course, you could do that just through eyeballs and scouting really well. But the analytical side just breaks that down, throws it on a sheet of paper, saves you a lot of work going into a game, those kind of things. So that's those acquisitions, it's never talked about enough. Uh, when you're able to look under the hood in the offseason and you have to make a close call on two shortstops, as an example, that's where I think I would really want to delve into it. That's where I could sit down, go over reams of information, and, of course, you want that, but then you never want to get away from uh, make a personality uh, conversations, one-on-one coaches, what's he like, uh, teammates, you know, how was so-and-so. So it's a combination. It's an amalgam of everything. You want to balance everything. So analytics is that, and I also believe this analytics provides a safety net for decision-making. People rely on it so much to the point where if it doesn't work, it's an easy get. Um, the analytics told me to do so. It didn't work, but analytically, numerically, mathematically, I was supposed to do it that way. Eventually, it's going to come around and work. But that doesn't help me on August 19th sometimes or August 20th or in a short series against a hot team with different players playing better and certain players playing worse. So there's, it's all of that. It's a tool. It's not an end all. I like the human element. It's, it's data versus the heartbeat. Uh, you have to balance this stuff. I, experience is no longer necessary, it seems. Wisdom is no longer part of the game. 
feel, if you use the word feel, people look at you like, what the heck are you talking about? <laughs> you know why? Because they've never done that. They, if you've never done something, you can't develop feel. You don't deserve to. Uh, feel is the gift of experience. So these are the things that it's hard to explain for people to understand. They can understand two plus two equals four, but they can't understand the feeling that you got on that top rail in the bottom of the seven based on something you saw in El Paso in 19. Let's see, when, when Phil Venturino, I took him out of the game, was what, 19? Um, 85, I think it was. I took Phil out of the game. I shouldn't have. And it comes rushing back to you. Mm-hmm. Feel, experience, moments. Yeah, to, to just to think you're just going to go off math and, and think that it's going to be the answer. It's crazy. Balance, brother. The whole life needs to be balanced. Your life needs to be balanced. My life needs to be balanced. So does my baseball team. So if you're able to understand that, you hire a smaller analytical group. You don't need this vast group of analysts upstairs uh, creating redundant work, but you need their work. You need, I would prefer a vast number of experienced baseball coaches and teachers on the field eyeball to eyeball with my guys augmented by a wonderful, the best staff you money can buy. But it doesn't have to be this thick numbers where there's a lot of redundancy coming out that's really superfluous. People try to make it out to be important, but it's not. Joe Madden is our guest. Fantastic stuff, Joe. And I think, I think too, one of the things we're watching, especially in college football, we're seeing the game changing, and we're seeing a lot mm-hmm. of longtime coaches go, I don't want to do the transfer portal, name, image, likeness, all this stuff. This isn't what I got into it for. Uh, what, one of the things I think that's most impressive about you is your World Series championships come 14 years apart. And I don't know if you, mm-hmm. you thought every year you were going to get there after you won it or if you, you thought, gosh, I may never get here again. But you, 14 years later, win another World Series, this time in Chicago. And can you maybe speak about kind of the, how you had to adapt and how you had to change, or, or did you as a manager? Well, what happens is in Chicago, you're holding your own baby. I was holding my own baby in Tampa Bay also. When I was with the Angels, I wasn't holding my own baby. That was Sosha's baby. You know, and I'm there to advise him, which is different. When you're advising somebody on a nightly basis, I'm more, I don't want to say reticent. I'm still going to give you what I got when I'm thinking, but you got to be sure. I got to be positive. Excuse me. I can't take flyers here. This is, he's got to answer for this stuff that I'm saying to him. So that's one way. But when you're holding the baby in Tampa Bay, you're holding the baby in Chicago and you make decisions, you got to answer for the stuff that you thought about. And that's, that's fair. And I like that. And in today's game, it's not necessarily like that anymore. Um, It's uh, the game is so controlled by front offices over uh, managers and staff that it's completely different. And that part to me is not attractive. Um, I, I, I really believe that once you've empowered, you should empower, not control. And I think leadership is being confused these days where those that are supposedly leadership are doling out um, moments of control as opposed to saying, it's your baby, go in and do it, make the decision, consult with me. I'm always here for you. And if I have a great idea, I'm going to come and tell you what I'm thinking. But it's your baby, go. That doesn't happen anymore. So I love that part of it. The first couple of years with the uh, Cubbies, I pretty much was able to had a free reign kind of a thing. Great coaching staff, wonderful group of players. We had a blast, and that's another thing. Nobody has fun anymore, brother. Fun is it's, it's not existent. Everybody's worried because of all the scrutiny involved in social media and being concerned about um, things coming back at you based on maybe um, – 
a, a decision that you make, something that, again, was based on feel or past or wisdom, whatever you want to call it, um, everybody's worried about that, so you become very careful. And you're not going to win a championship by being careful. Fortune favors the bold, brother, and you have to be bold in your decision-making. You can't worry about uh, people coming at you necessarily. Sometimes you just got to wear it. But nevertheless, that's what a real leader is about, empowerment and not control. Now, the book you've written, the book of Joe, I think is a great transition. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you wrote it with Tom Verducci, but, you know, it's life. It's kind of life coaching, isn't it? I mean, you're managing. Yeah. It's baseball and life, and here are the parallels. And what made you want to write the book? Well, uh, Tommy and I talked about it even when I was with the Cubs, and I said, nah, you know, it's not time for that. And then once the um, uh, let me go, I said to Tommy, you know, I know I was going to have a lot of free time. Um, and plus the pandemic, part of it was the pandemic. So we started it during the pandemic, and then once the angels um, let me go, then it was obviously the right time to put it out there. But it was in the making. It was in the hopper from 2020 or so, and um, and Tommy had ta- approached me on it prior to that, and I said, you know, it says then let's go. And then during the pandemic, I rode my bike every day in Arizona, really warm. I had a little dictaphone wrapped around my neck, and I would probably – record 45 to 60 minutes every day. And at the end of the day, I would upload it to Tom and David Black, uh, the editor, um, and um, we would talk about it. So there was an accumulation of 100 hours of me talking um, to a dictaphone. Plus, when you read the book, Tommy is fabulous with his research, and Tommy is fabulous at at, um, weaving things together and stories and thoughts and with with great research and and backs backs up. And he's so good at that. So I, I really have so much respect for Tom Verducci. So began during the pandemic, went through that, was the right time to do it, let's go. I was really anticipating um, the book being uh, revealed while I was still managing the angels. It didn't occur that way, but that's the way the world works sometimes. I, I love the book, and uh, it encouraged people to get on Amazon, go to your local bookstore. It's called The Book of Joe. Um, Joe Madden is our guest, uh, World Series champion as a manager. And uh, I got to ask you, we've been talking mm-hmm. all week about the Portland Diamond Project. Major League Baseball is a possibility in our region. Does it work? And don't be afraid to hurt our feelings. Does it work in the Pacific Northwest right here in, in Portland? Well, if it works in Seattle, it works in Portland, right? I mean, um, the Seattle Pilots, they go way back, and it's kind of uh, it's fuzzy to think about those days with the Pilots and those wonderful uniforms. And then the Mariners, I mean, no, I, when I was with the Angels, I was up there all the time, and I saw that franchise going. I'll tell you another thing. In the 80s, when I was running instructional leagues in Arizona for the Angels, the Mariners had among the best talent that there was. At that, They didn't win, but I'll tell you what, their scouts and their minor league developmental people did a great job. So, it, of course, it works. That ballpark up there is one of the best. Uh, I think it's T-Mobile now. Um, the fan base is rabbit. I mean, when you they show up, and it's kind of a – it's kind of a cult kind of a method, the way they, they follow their group, a very individualist, individualistic group of people, and they protect their own. So I, I, there's a part of a lot of, a lot of Seattle, plus the beautiful city itself, not unlike Portland. I think Portland, given the opportunity, is going to come out and kind of work the same kind of a vibe regarding uh, the part of the country. Uh, you know, there's something about the Pacific Northwest when you get up there. Just the, uh, the air quality seems to be so much better. You get outside, there's a... The, the the brightness when it's when it is a sunny day it's such a yep. it's such a different it's a it's a different kind of yellow I don't know I there's so, you know you're in the Pacific Northwest and and again the fan base when I was in I was in Salem for two summers 
in the early 80s. We won a championship there in 1982 at the Salem Angels in the Northwest League. And I think fans turned out, and to this day, not more recently, but in the recent past, I've heard from people back there, and I had a great time uh, there. I Yes, of course it can work there. Look at your collegiate stuff. Look what the uh, the Ducks have done there. And, uh, and again, Eugene was another fabulous place even to play in the minor leagues back then. Of course you can support a team up there. It's about building the right facility with the right kind of uh, options available that really speaks to the community and not just to the baseball community, uh, the right kind of location. you got to uh, be concerned with and work properly the infrastructure. And make it appealing to everybody. Just so those people that don't necessarily aren't into baseball, make this area something to do where that they can enjoy and come out to this particular area and, and suit their needs also. Make it more, uh, again, liberal arts, more encompassing. Of course it can. It's beautiful. I love Portland. And, uh, again, if, if Seattle can do it, uh, of course Portland can do it. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about Oregon State and Pat Casey, multiple national yep. championships, mm-hmm. yep. Carl's World mm-hmm. Series, and Joe Madden, our guest. As a manager, how can you treat everybody the same, or do you have to identify how to reach each child just like a parent does and, and try to you know manage individually? How did, how did you handle that? Well, you have to have an overarching, uh, whatever your, your uh, policies are, what your philosophy is. I would have my, um, I, I would g- gather my lead bulls. My lead bulls would be the most influential guys on the team. I'll have a meeting with them in spring training, and we talk about our policies. How are we going to do this? For instance, like what's, uh, what's travel going to be like? What are, we, what are we going to wear when we get on a bus on an airplane? Um, what, what's uh, on a daily basis? Who's permitted in our clubhouse and when? Our kids, are your kids permitted? How about dads? Uh, when we get to the playoffs, how are we going to travel during the playoffs? Uh, our families involved. Our families involved during the regular season. So during this, I, I want – I want the lead bulls, I want the more influential guys on the team to create the policies because, after all, they're more impacted by it than I am. i got my own office. I sit up front on an airplane. This is more about them. So when you empower your group to make those kind of decisions, um, all of a sudden things work a lot more easily and uh, seamlessly, and that's what I like to do. I like to empower the group. So when you get the right guys running in the right direction, it, 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 it kind of goes pretty swimmingly. Now, uh, having said all that, of course, I'm going to uh, approach my conversation with David Ross different than Wilson Contreras. Of course I am. Um, you do respect the time put in. You do respect uh, the pedigree of this particular person. Um, I've had different conversations with a bunch of rookies. We had some really good young guys with the Cubs more recently, and I had some great veterans, like I said, David, um, Miguel Montero, Johnny Lester. Of course the conversation is different. You want everybody, though, is going to follow these same policies that we've generated, but conversationally, it's going to be different. And, yes, I'm going to probably at some point there's going to be a little bit more latitude given to a guy that's been doing it for 10 or 15 years. Of course, that's, that would be silly to not. Um, but, again, I like to empower the group almost to raise these younger players because peer pressure is much more impactful and effective than that coming from a manager or coach. So, again, it's, it's, a, it's a big family. It is a community. Uh, you've got to raise the group as a whole, but you have to be steadfast with what you believe in as a group. But then in, I'm, I'm a big believer in individuality in the, and the individual uh, in my personal life and in the game. Most talented player you ever managed? Shohei. Yeah, I mean, I guess you could talk about the other guys. I mean, uh, even back to the Angel days, uh, Darren Erstad was pretty darn talented. Jimmy Edmonds still might have been the, one of the might be the best baseball player 
I mean, everything. Jimmy could do everything. And he came on out of nowhere as a minor leaguer. And when he caught fireman and went with the Cardinals, you saw everything that Jimmy can do. And there's, it's not a whole lot different between him and Ken Griffey. I know people might nuts for saying that. But on the same field, on check that stuff out. They were both that good. Uh, Jimmy was that good. Um, more recently, like I said, Shohei. Shohei, of course, has just been DHing and pitching. But I, if you put this guy in right field for a whole season, he's an all-star right fielder. He's, an all, he's a Hall of Fame candidate right fielder. He's all of that. He runs well. He throws well. Hits, hits with power. He runs the big rate. And then on top of that, he throws 90-some miles an hour. With, and he, then he creates on the fly. This guy uh, can learn a pitch right before the game and take it into the game and be very <laughs> effective with it, very adaptable. So I, I was pretty fortunate to have run into him. Mikey Trout, and of course Mikey. Mikey's outstanding, but he can't pitch. You know, it's like um, <laughs> Shohei's just a little bit different, brother. He's different. Joe Madden, I really appreciate you giving us some of your time. We'd love to get you back on maybe when the uh, season starts or spring training, but thank you so much for the, for your time. Always welcome, and thanks for having me. Appreciate it, John. Love that interview with Joe Madden, World Series champion twice over. Got the Cubs there, broke the 108-year-old streak. Uh, leave it here. Coming up later in the program, Alex Molden, former NFL defensive back. We'll talk about quarterbacks, the Super Bowl, from a defensive back's perspective, Molden on Brock Purdy and Patrick Mahomes. Leave it here. Love that interview with Joe Madden, World Series champion. Great stuff. If you uh, if you didn't catch the interview, grab a podcast of it. If you did catch it, share the podcast with somebody you think might enjoy it. I think there's something in there. There's a little bit of life coaching in that interview with Joe Madden. And certainly... Uh, we're bringing baseball guests on the show like Joe Madden today, Jed Lowry yesterday, talking about, um, you know, the, the Portland Diamond Project and uh, Major League Baseball and the start of spring training and um, what might be, what could be. Um, Love the interview with Madden. Had to get the question in about Barry Bonds. Had to get the question in about how the game has changed. Had to get the analytics stuff in there. Um, loved asking him about whether or not MLB works in Portland because what I'm really looking for there is that like look if Jed Lowry who grew up in the in the uh, state of Oregon and went on to play his college ball at Stanford he was on yesterday's show and he gets to the big leagues and then an all-star game and if Jed Lowry who's been out in the world comes back to us and says hey baseball's not going to work this is not going to be a thing it's not going to happen it's not going to be important if he comes back and says that I'm going to pay attention to that but that's not what he said. He said, hey, um, you know, if they can secure the land, uh, then, you know, people will put their attach their name to it. And all of a sudden you have a project. And, you know, uh, same thing. Same goes for Joe Madden today as he comes on the show. Like if he says to me, John, there's no way I just don't see it. Or if he reacts just by laughing, you know, he he understands Major League Baseball. He has managed at a high at the highest level of the game and scouted and worked in the minor leagues. If he came back and said, no, Portland's more like a double or triple A city, I'm going to pay attention to that. And no, he's saying, look, um, rivalry with Seattle. It works. It's uh, certainly, uh, you know, the kind of project that uh, that Major League Baseball would get behind. Now I pay attention to that. So we'll see what happens. I think the next step for the Portland Diamond Project is to go from being in negotiations with the city for the 164-acre red tail property in Beaverton 
annexed by the city of Beaverton, owned by the city of Portland. A little bit of confusion there from some people in the last few days. City of Portland owns the parcel of land. City of uh, Beaverton annexed it in, and it's in Washington County. I originally thought it was in unincorporated Washington County. That's not true. It's in Washington County. It just doesn't have any zoning that's attached to it. So you could go in there with that 164 acres, and they could put parks. They could put shopping. They could put residential and restaurants. And then in the heart of it, bury a uh, baseball stadium on 11 or 12 acres uh, in the, in that parcel. And I think you could create something kind of cool if uh, – if you can uh, if you can envision that it brings us to our big splash we do this every day on the show this is the one thing you absolutely need to know today look 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 at it where down there the big splash brought to you by killer burger home of the peanut butter pickle bacon burger and voted best burger 5 years in a row killer burger the burgers your mama warned you about well, Carl Weathers played a little bit in the NFL. He played for the Raiders in the 1970-1971 seasons. Played his college football at San Diego State. He's part of an undefeated team in 1968-1969 at San Diego State. But he was majoring in theater. And who knew? You know, he found football. He found the outlet that was football. But who knew that Carl Weathers would go on uh, to star in movies? Action Jackson. Arrested Development. Of course, he played Apollo Creed in the Rockies series, 1976. He was the undisputed heavyweight world champion uh, in the movie that starred also Sylvester Stallone. Put him on the map. Carl Weathers passed away today. He uh, died today, and uh, it's a sad day for people who are Rocky fans and a lot of people remembering him in Predator alongside uh, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and teaching golf in Happy Gilmore, but I remember Carl Weathers from Rocky, where he played the nemesis-turned-ally Apollo Creed. Uh, Carl Weathers was 76 years old. He died uh, died yesterday. His family issued a statement saying he died peacefully in his sleep. They called him an exceptional human being who lived an extraordinary life. Um, think about the gift that Carl Weathers gave the world when it came to entertainment he not only acted he played some football he also leaves behind uh two sons that uh survived by two sons he said he was lucky to have uh to have been able to find success in multiple things and uh he uh, obviously grew up um he said idolizing jim brown muhammad ali uh harry belafonte uh among others so uh at the age of 76, Carl Weathers has passed away. Apollo Creed, may you rest in peace. Coming up, top of the hour, we will uh, talk with Alex Molden, former NFL defensive back. He obviously has a son in the NFL now. He's got another kid in high school is being highly recruited. He has launched a uh, side hustle in which he is exploring opportunities for athletes, high school and college athletes who are uh, sort of finding their way in the new world, so to speak. We'll talk about all of that. Plus, I want to know two things from Alex Molden. One, let's talk about Brock Purdy and Patrick Mahomes, how different those guys are to prepare for. Two, let's talk about preparing for a big game in general. 
We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face hey, Sorry Truth. to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.